from the American College of Cardiology. This is Dr. Kim Eagle, ACC.org Editor-in-Chief. This is her weekly cardiovascular update from ACC.org. Eagle's Eye View. Today I want to give you a brief update of the key points from the 2018 ACC AHA HRS guideline on the evaluation and management of patients with bradycardia and cardiac conduction delay. As you know, the guidelines process creates magnificent, very evidence-based documents that are incredibly helpful for practice. The guidelines committees are now identifying key points from their documents that are most important for the practicing cardiologist or cardiovascular provider. We at ACC.org also have experts who take a look at these guideline recommendations and further provide perspectives for you as you think about the document's translation into your practice. So let's talk about 10 messages from this particular guideline that I think are relevant to your practice. So sinus node dysfunction is most often related to age-dependent progressive fibrosis of the sinonodal tissue and the surrounding myocardium. And this leads to abnormalities of the sinus node and atrial impulse formation and propagation and results in a variety of problems with bradycardia or PAUSE-related syndromes. By and large, the sole reason for considering any treatment for sinus node dysfunction is the presence of symptoms. Asymptomatic sinus bradycardia has not been associated with adverse outcomes. On the other hand, patients who have symptoms attributable to sinus node dysfunction have a high risk of cardiovascular events, including syncope, AFib, or heart failure. The second area is sleep disorders. So sleep disorders of breathing and nocturnal bradycardia are relatively common. And the treatment of sleep apnea not only reduces the frequency of arrhythmias, but also may offer other cardiovascular benefit, as you know. So the presence of nocturnal bradycardia should prompt consideration for screening for sleep apnea, starting with, of course, solicitation of suspicious symptoms and, when appropriate, the evaluation through formal sleep studies. It's interesting, treating the underlying sleep apnea not only alleviates apnea-related symptoms and improve cardiovascular outcomes, but it also may eliminate the need for pacemaker implantation in a fairly large percentage of these patients. Patients with sleep-related sinus bradycardia or transient sinus pauses occurring during sleep, permanent pacing is not indicated unless other indications for pacing are present. Let's talk about left bundle branch block. This identifies a group of patients with a much higher likelihood of underlying structural heart disease. And, of course, identifying either left ventricular systolic dysfunction or ischemia is important. Typically, echocardiography is the most appropriate initial screening test looking for systolic dysfunction. It's probably appropriate to exclude associated structural heart disease in all patients who show up with a new left bundle branch block and, of course, Many of these are also related to ischemic heart disease. The left bundle clearly identifies a group of patients with a higher likelihood of trouble, and of course these patients may present with heart failure, either due to underlying structural abnormalities or to cardiac dyssynchrony. Let's talk about sinus node dysfunction. There is currently no established minimum heart rate or pause duration where permanent pacemaking is recommended. Rather, you want to establish the temporal correlation between symptoms and bradycardia to decide if pacemaker treatment is needed. In terms of how we identify this, external loop recorders and adhesive patch recorders 
clearly have a higher diagnostic yield than 24 to 48 hour monitoring. So it's important that more continuous ambulatory monitoring be done. The value of some of the newer technologies, including iPhones and so forth, is still being established. In patients with acquired secondary Mobitz 2-type AV block, high-grade AV block, or third-degree AV block, permanent pacemaking is recommended generally regardless of symptoms. Otherwise, in the other types, the absence of symptoms clearly identifies a group of patients where watchful waiting is appropriate. When you see bradycardia and conduction system disease in appropriate patient populations, you should think about some of the infiltrative abnormalities that we see in cardiology, like sarcoidosis, amyloidosis, hemochromatosis. Also consider Chagas disease in patients who may have gone to Central or South America. Exercise testing can be very helpful in distinguishing AV nodal versus conduction disturbances in the Hisk-Purkinje system below the AV node, so-called infranodal, in the setting of a two-to-one conduction. In patients who have an LVEF between 36 and 50% and AV block who have an indication for permanent pacemaking and are expected to require ventricular pacing greater than 40% of the time, techniques which provide more physiologic ventricular activation, cardiac resynchrony therapy, is reasonable compared to right ventricular pacing. While some studies show the benefit of bivy pacing with pacing burden of 40% or more, Others suggest a benefit in pacing burden as low as even 20%. TAVR, obviously a new right bundle branch block after TAVR is often associated with increased risk of complete block and need for a permanent pacemaker later, and is also associated with late all-cause mortality and morbidity. So we need to have a high level of vigilance in this group. In patients with bradycardia and indications for pacemaker implantation, Shared decision-making in patient-centered care is really appropriate. This guideline emphasizes this a lot. And patients really need to be very involved in this decision as they consider the recommendations for or against either pacing or other types of therapy for bradyarrhythmia. And this, of course, is also true when one is talking about potentially withdrawal of pacemaker therapy or defibrillator therapy uh, in patients who are near end of life. Identifying patient populations that will benefit more from the emerging pacing technology like his bundle pacing or transcatheter leadless pacing is going to require more investigation. These areas are rapidly evolving, they're exciting, and we're going to need trials to properly define the right cohorts of patients that we care for. So I've talked to you about uh, what we think are the 10 key points from this latest guideline from the ACC, AHA, and HRS on the evaluation and management of patients with bradycardia and cardiac conduction delay. I want to thank you for listening to Eagle's Eye View. This is your weekly cardiovascular update from acc.org, and you can find this guideline and the key points and our perspectives on the website. Also, look for a new educational catalog featured on acc.org. It's located under the Education and Meetings tab. Using this tool, you can sort our educational offerings by various formats, many of which are free. Find us online or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next week, I hope you have a great one. Thank you.